All right, well, let's go to God's word. If you want to take out your sermon, no cheat. We are almost finished with our study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. In fact, today is actually week 23, almost a half a year in the book of Ephesians. We will actually finish this series up next week. And so that's that we're coming to the, we're about to land the plane. I've been known to take a long time to land the plane, but we're going to land the plane finally. Well, if you've been with us, you know the very last section of this book of Ephesians has to do with the subject of spiritual warfare. You know, there, there is a devil out there that would like to stop us from living out our identity in Christ. And so he comes at us with all kind of lying schemes to try and stop that from happening. And so to counter him, we've got to learn to stand firm in our identity in Christ. And the way that you do that is by putting on the full armor of God. Let's once again go ahead and read this entire talk about spiritual warfare that the Apostle Paul and what he has to say here in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So because that's true, look at verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, over the past five weeks, we've been working our way through each piece of the armor one by one. We've been helping you understand what it is and how you could put it on when it comes to your life. And so we've already talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We've talked about the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. Today, we come to the very last piece of spiritual armor mentioned by name, the sword of the spirit. If you're going to stand firm against the devil and his flows, foes in the spiritual battle, you're going to need a sword. You're going to need a weapon. Let me once again remind you that as Paul wrote these instructions to the Ephesian church about sport, spiritual warfare, he's doing so from a prison cell. His only crime is preaching about Jesus. That's why he's locked up. And so as he's in this prison, penning this letter to the church, he happens to look over to one of the Roman soldiers guarding him. And that's when the Holy Spirit inspires him to make a comparison between the Roman soldier's armor and the Christian soldier's armor when it comes to the spiritual battle. So when he's talking about a sword here, He's not talking just about any type of sword that there is in the world. He's talking about the Roman soldier's sword. Now, historically, there were five different types of swords that a Roman soldier would have in his arsenal. And really, most soldiers would only use two of those five swords. First, there was what was the long broadsword. And so this is the sword that was two to three feet in length. It was very heavy, and it kind of required two hands to maneuver. Uh, to give you an image, maybe, how many saw Star Wars? Remember the long lightsabers? 
and whoo, whoo, you know. So this sword was very long, except it was very heavy, and it required two hands to, remove, to maneuver. But that's not the type of sword that Paul has in mind here. He's very particular about which one of the swords he's referring to when it comes to the spiritual battle. The word sword that he mentions here in verse 17 is the Greek word makaira. And what it is, is it's a short double-edged sword or dagger with a sharp point. You have to understand it was a brutal weapon meant to kill or inflict severe damage on the battlefield. And so this makaira, this sword, was anywhere from six inches to 20 inches in length. In fact, we got a good image of what that sword, doesn't that thing look mean? That's exactly what the sword would have looked like to some degree. It, it was short because it was meant to be used in close hand-to-hand -hand combat with precision. See, unlike the big broadsword where you would just come and swing and hope to make contact somewhere, uh, this, this sword would be used when you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat to make precise actions when the enemy left itself vulnerable to attack. This Makaira was razor sharp on both sides of the blade, and at the end, there would be a very sharp point. And often, sometimes with those swords, they would take the end of the sword and actually bend the end or curve it just a little bit. And the reason why that was is so that when you thrust that sword into your enemy's stomach, you would give it a twist then, and then when you would pull back out, the victim's entrails would come out as well. So what I want you to understand is the sword that Paul was talking about here was a lean, mean, stabbing, slicing, dicing, killing machine. Of all the swords available to the Roman soldier, this one was the most dangerous. In fact, it was a terror to the imagination. This is a weapon that struck fear into the heart of your enemy. Well, here's the deal. God has given us, as Christians, a weapon to be used in the spiritual battle that literally strikes fear into the heart of the devil and his foes. He's afraid of it. It's called the sword of the Spirit. And if you know how to use it properly in the spiritual battle, listen to me, the devil has no shot to defeat you. On the contrary, the sword gives you power to defeat him every single time. What I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is answer three questions that are designed to help you get a good, firm grip on the sword that God has given you. Here's question number one, first thing in your notes. notes. What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, Paul doesn't leave that to our imagination. In fact, we don't even need to search the rest of the scriptures to figure that out. We've had to do that with some of these pieces of armor. We've had to go throughout the rest of the Bible to see what those pieces were really all about. We don't have to do that here. He, he tells us plainly, look at it. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the, what is it? Word of God. Word of God. So it's the word of God. Now, I need to help you understand what Paul means here when he says the word of God. There is a particular way in which the word of God becomes a sword in your hand for the spiritual battle. Let me explain. There are three Greek words used in reference to the word of God in the New Testament. 
Those three Greek words are graphe, logos, and rhema. And if you can get an understanding of each of these, you're gonna, I'm going to help you as I work through this, hopefully get a good grip on what the word of God is when it comes to the spiritual battle. Let's start with the first of these Greek words. Everybody say graphe. Graphe is the written word of God. It's the writings. It's the scriptures. It's the books of the Bible. It's the word of God in written form. So let me give you an example of the use of this word graphe in scripture. Acts chapter 8, verse 32. This, it says, this is the passage of scripture. You see that? This is the passage of graphe is the word. The eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So the eunuch was reading from the graphe, from the written word of God, from the Old Testament. He's reading, actually, from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, here's what I want you to get. When Paul talks about the sword being the word of God in Ephesians 6, he is not talking about you just owning a Bible or having one. Okay, Some people use their Bible like a rabbit's foot, like a lucky rabbit's foot. They think if I could just have one, if I could just put it on my nightstand, if I could just have it in every room in the house, they use it as like a good luck charm and somehow just having the Bible somewhere in your house is going to keep the devil away. Can I just tell you something? That is not biblical thinking. That is more witchcraft-like thinking. Listen, having the written word of God is vitally important in your life, but if it's only ever something you have, that's not going to be nearly enough to help you be victorious in the spiritual battle. Because how many know you can have a sword, but never take it out and use it? Now, that leads to the second Greek word for the word of God in the New Testament. Everybody say logos. Logos Logos is the spoken word of God. It's literally understanding what God has to say. So think about this. When you come to church and hear a sermon from the graphe, right, the written word of God, and now you understand what God has to say, you've just experienced logos. Now you understand what God has to say about something. Let me give you an example of Lagos in Scripture. Uh, let me take you to, first, or to uh, Colossians 1, 25. Paul says this about his calling. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the, the word. Lagos, or spoken word is the idea, of God in its fullness. So God, Paul was commissioned by God to declare what God has spoken, his logos. Now, can I just tell you, that's my job as your pastor. So get this. My job is to take the graphe, the written word of God, and help you understand the logos, what God has spoken about the issues of life. And I got to tell you, some people get really mad at me. I don't like what you had to preach. And often what I tell them is, your problem isn't me, your problem is with God. I'm just the messenger. My job is to take the graphe and declare to you the logos. Now, the graphe and logos are so necessary in our life when it comes to the spiritual battle. But it's still not quite what Paul is talking about 
when he mentions the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. You see, the Greek word that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, 17 for word is the Greek word rhema. Everybody say rhema. Okay, you say, well, what is that? Well, rhema is the quickened word of God. You say, well, I don't, I don't understand. It's a word from God through the Holy Spirit for a specific situation or issue at that moment in your life. Notice Paul says the sword is the sword of the what? Spirit. You see that? Listen, this is a part of the Holy Spirit's job in your life as a Christian. He quickens the word of God to your heart and your mind. He speaks the word of God to you as you navigate through this life. He reminds you about it. He makes it come alive in you. I would describe it often like this. Uh, Often you're not going to hear an audible voice. It's possible. But a lot of times what you feel is a burn or a strong impression. How many know what I'm talking about? Jesus said this would be what the Holy Spirit would do in the life of a Christian. That would be one of his jobs. Look at what Jesus' words in John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, what is he going to do? Watch this. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. So do you understand how Jesus speaks to you? He speaks to you through the Holy Spirit. Now I know you've experienced this in your life. You may not have recognized it. So let's talk about it. So you recognize it. You ever been reading the Bible and you're just kind of trudging through and then there comes that one verse that just seems to jump off the page at you and it fits your life and where you're at. What often what that is, is a rhema word of God. Okay? This is why you can't just settle for Bible knowledge. I run into people that say, well, I've read the Bible. You need to keep reading the Bible because you don't know what rhema word of God he's going to pull out for you today. Yeah. I mean, you can read a verse over and over, but then in a different season of life, you read it and go, how come I've never seen that? Yeah. I'll tell you why, because God just gave you a new rhema word yeah. for right now, for where you are in your life. Think about this. There are times when you're sitting in church. And it just feels like the pastor wrote that sermon just for you. I mean, I see this all the time as a pastor. People will come to me afterward and they'll say, Pastor, oh my gosh, let me tell you what God spoke to me. And I'm like, what sermon were you listening to? And then I've come to learn that as the Lagos goes forth, the Holy Spirit takes it and makes it a rhema here and a rhema there and a rhema there. And he applies it different in your life. You know what that's like. You experience it all the time. Or maybe you're driving down the road and you've ever had like me, listen, hardly any of my best sermon thoughts or ideas come in my devotional time. I'm telling you, I'll just be driving down the road, listening to secular radio. Shocking, right? Like, what does he listen to? Well, that's for me to know and you to find out. You ever just had the Holy Spirit just drop something in your mind out of the blue? And you're like, oh my gosh, that's a Holy Spirit thought. That's exactly what I've been thinking about and praying about. Or sometimes you're in a situation with people and you're like, something doesn't feel right. 
And the Holy Spirit saying, be careful. There's something not right here. How many know what I'm talking about? A lot of times that is a rhema word of God. Or maybe you're going through something in your life and it's, and it's hard and it's difficult. And the Holy Spirit brings a scripture or a Bible character or a story from the Bible. And often the Holy Spirit uses that rhema word to encourage you. He helps you in that very moment. He gives you a word for that particular precise moment in your life. So here's the deal. A rhema word is a right now word from God to be used with precision for that specific moment that you're in in life. So now you understand why Paul specifically, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose the word makaira, that particular sword, to describe the sword of the Spirit. Because it perfectly describes how the Spirit leads us and guides us and speaks to us and brings the word of God to life in our life. So let me give you a good definition of what a rhema word is, and I have this in your note sheet. Rhema is a declaration of the logos that is grounded in the graphic. Let me put that another way. The quickened word of the Holy Spirit that he gives you is always from the word of God that's grounded in the Bible. So if you ever think that you're hearing from God, but it's contrary to what the Bible says, all right, are you ready? You're not hearing from God. I don't know if you know this, but you're, you're capable, whether you realize it or not, of hearing things in the spiritual realm. We're not always good at discerning that. But not every voice you hear is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that voice is the devil, disguised as an angel of light. Sometimes that voice is the world. Sometimes it's your own sinful human flesh, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit speaking in your life will always be grounded in the written word of God. Okay, now you understand why the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is called our helper. His job is to speak the word of God in your life. Remind you what God has already said in his word. Give you direction and give you guidance into all truth. And he's constantly wanting to give you a rhema for today. A rhema for tomorrow. A rhema for what you're facing, what you're going through. His job is to put the sword in your hand as you encounter life. So, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's a rhema word of God that you need to help you with whatever may be in front of you at this moment. And you're going to need that for the rest of your life because until you go to heaven, you're going to be in the spiritual battle. Or until Jesus comes back, there's going to be a spiritual battle. Here's the second question. How does the sword of the Spirit work? Well, the word of God works in your life in two ways. First, it works in you. Number one, it works in you. Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Powerful, powerful, powerful. I can't say it enough. Verse of scripture about what the word of God does in our life. Look at it. Hebrews 4, 12. It says the word of God, the logos of God is alive and active. You see that? The words of God are not dead. They're alive and active. Now watch this. Sharper than any double-edged sword. So do you understand? The word of God is a double-edged sword with life in it. Now what does it do? What does it do in us? 
It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. Now, I know what you're thinking. What, What does that even mean? Well, let me help you understand. Well, just like when a butcher takes an animal that's been slain, and what he does is he takes a sharp knife, and he uses that knife to butcher the animal. But what what a butcher will do a lot of times, uh, if you're looking for the marrow in the bone, is he'll take a very sharp knife, because that sharp knife is needed to cut through that hard bone to get to the marrow in the inside. So he uses a knife to separate the bone, right, the joint, from the marrow. That's similar to how God uses his word. A sharp, double-edged sword to make a separation inside of us. So what do you mean? Well, he uses it to separate our soul from our spirit. See, your, your spirit and your soul is your invisible world. You can't see it, but you know it's there, right? Your body is your physical world. See, you're made up of spirit, soul, and body. And here's the deal. God wants us as Christians to use our bodies to glorify him, to serve his purposes and plans. He wants us to use our bodies to be instruments of righteousness rather than instruments of sin. Now, in order for that to happen, your soul has to be able to take direction from your spirit so that your soul can give the proper instructions to your body. So that's the don't get it. Well, let me explain further. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, your spirit was reborn on the inside of you. Jesus called it in John chapter 3, being born again. Paul said in Ephesians 2 here, you were spiritually dead, but now in Christ you are what? Alive spiritually. If you are a Christian... You right now at this moment have a redeemed spirit man living on the inside of you that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that spirit man on the inside of you desires to, desires to serve God. Yes. As the, what you have to understand is this. The Holy Spirit's only tool to transform you into all that God desires for you to be is the word of God. See, I don't get it. Well, what often stops the word of God from transforming us is our soul. You see, our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And the Bible often refers to our soul as the heart of a person. And here's the deal. We make decisions all the time out of what comes, what's in our heart, right? For out of the heart come the issues of life. What's in the well comes out in the water. Here's what you have to understand about your heart. Your heart is desperately wicked, the Bible says. Why? Because of the curse of sin. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. And watch this. And beyond cure. Well, that's not a real encouraging verse. (laughs) Who can understand it? And boy, isn't that true? Isn't it true? Just when you think you've got your heart figured out, all of a sudden, you discover there's a whole layer, another layer of crud under it. You know what I'm, Can you say amen to that? Amen. Why? Because of the curse of sin. The curse of sin makes the heart beyond cure apart from the Lord. 
There is a cure for it, and his name's the Lord. Now look at the next verse with me. Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Well, how does the Lord search the heart and examine the mind? With his double-edged sword? With his word? Go back to Hebrews chapter 4 and let's start verse 12 from the beginning. For the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Here it is. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. So let me put this together for you. God has to separate our soul from our spirit because our soul gets in the way of what the spirit is trying to accomplish in our life. And what the word of God does is it reveals to us where our thoughts and attitudes don't match up with God's word. This is why when the word of God goes forth in your life, it often feels like it's cutting you. It, It convicts you. It shows you where your thinking is stinking. This this explains a mystery to some of you. God's moving in your life, and you invite that friend or that family member, and all they can do is squirm the whole time. Why? Because the word of God is cutting them and dividing soul and spirit. And it's a little uncomfortable. Listen, God has to slice you out of the way so the spirit can break through in your life. See, we have a bad habit of thinking that what we think is what God thinks. And what we feel is what God feels. And there's a lot of Christians going around saying, well, this is what I think God says, and this is what I think God wants, and the Bible will clarify that real quick. The word of God will set you straight really quick. God wants the logos, get this, to get you out of the way. To separate your soul from your spirit. So that you can clearly understand. Now it's separated. I know what what is of God and what's not. Now I'm ready for a rhema word of how I need to take action in my life. See, when it dawns on you that what you thought and what God's word said isn't the same thing. You just got sliced and diced. (laughs) Now, here's what I want you to understand. God is a lot like a surgeon. The surgeon doesn't cut a patient to harm them. He cuts them in order to heal them in the big picture. Think about it. Surgeon comes along, says, we got to get that tumor out of you, but he's got to cut you first. To remove the growth yes. that is going to cause death. Yes. So sometimes he's got to break you. Sometimes he's got to cut you open yes. and deal with your heart before he can close you back up and bring healing in your life in order to save you from the path that you're on. Amen. This now makes sense. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Very famous verse. All scripture, all prophet. Is God breathed? You know what that means? Holy Spirit inspired. And is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting. I mean, it's separating, right? 
and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, watch this, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And listen, not only will God use the word of God to equip you for every good work, but he will use it to equip you for the spiritual battle. And once the word of God has done a work in you, now you're ready for it to work through you. See, the word of God works in you so that it can now work through you. Once you understand the logos of God. Now, get this. Go ahead and move forward one on the slide there. Once you now understand the logos of God, what God has said, what God has spoken. You got that straight in your mind. Now you have a rhema word in your hand. And here's the deal. It has power if yes. you use it. Yes. That's the key. You have to use it. Okay? You have to live it out. You have to act on it. Look at somebody around you and tell you, you got to use it. I mean, this is what James tells us about the word of God in James chapter one. And he uses a little bit of a different analogy uh, than in Hebrews. Hebrews talks about the sword, but he talks about the word of God being a mirror in your life here. And, And look what James says. Do not merely listen to the lagos. You see that? The word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Hey, you you can go around all day and you can put makeup on and fool a bunch of other people about where you are spiritually and they can think you look good, but the moment you get in your Bible, you're going to see a reflection to find out what you're really like. Because what what does the Bible do? It separates who you are with what you're really like. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Oh, we can preach a whole sermon on that. I don't like the word of God. It cuts me. Listen, God cuts you, not because he's trying to bring bondage in your life, because he wants you to live in freedom. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, but doing it, but doing it, but doing it. They, not everybody, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you understand what he's saying? You won't be blessed by the Bible, the word of God, unless you act on it. This explains why so many Christians lack power in their life and why the devil constantly defeats them because they go to church and they sing the songs and they hear the sermons and they even take a lot of really great notes, but they never act on the word of God. Therefore, they never experience the blessing that God wants to give them. They never experience the healing that God wants to bring in their life. And they never experience the victory that they should have over the enemy in their life. You see, some of us try to fight the devil like this. Look at this image. (laughs) Devil's coming in for hand-to-hand combat. 
We're like, hey, look, it's the devil. And you got your sword with you. But you don't have it in your hand. Oh, you believe in the logos. You have the graphe. But you need the rhema in your hand. Instead, we need to be like this guy here. This guy's ready for battle. He's got the rhema in his hand. And so that's how the logos becomes a rhema word in your life. Here's the deal. With power in it. God's word works in you so he can then work his word through you. How many of you desire the power of God in your life? You need to pay attention to the logos. That's the problem. Things can never get turned around in my, my life. In the first, and, and I'm not saying you won't go through battles, but, but so many times I look at people and, and, and I, I know what's, and I'm like, but you're living contrary to God's word and you wonder why there's no victory. The devil won't get off my back. You know why that is? Because you don't have your sword. You're easy pickings. You don't have, you have a sword, but you have it here. You don't have it in your hand. Listen, every word of God, you need to understand this. Every word of God has power in it. Do you remember how God created the world? He spoke and it what? Because every word that comes from the word of God, from the mouth of God, has power in it. You know this. Jesus told a whole parable about this. Remember the parable of the seed and the sower? Jesus says, when the seed, which is the word of God, gets scattered, and if it gets down into your heart, it has the power to produce a harvest of righteousness. Because there's power in a seed. Listen, if you think about it this, every rhema word that comes into your life is loaded with power if you'll just take it and plant it. And you may not see it right away. But down the road, things start to happen and God starts to reveal himself and fruit starts to come from your life. And it's all back to a point where you took a seed and you said, I'm going to plant this in my life. I'm going to keep that in my hand. Every word of God has power in it. Here's the last question. How do you use the sword of the spirit? Let's talk about that. Well, you use it in two ways. First, you use it defensively. Okay, here's the deal. The enemy comes at you, are you ready for this? With a sword in his hand. The devil comes at you with a sword in his hand. Do you know what his only weapon is? Are you ready for this? His word. And by the way, do you understand his words are always full of lies? How did he deceive Adam and Eve in the garden with his what? his mouth with his words now you understand what the bible says there is life and death in the power of the tongue right listen when the enemy comes at you with his sword you use your sword to defend yourself now the great picture of this is jesus being tempted remember matthew chapter 4 luke chapter 4 devil comes to him after he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights he says i know you're hungry You're the son of God. You can take those stones and turn them into bread. It's a temptation. And what does Jesus do? Jesus stops. And he goes, 
Let me get a Lagos from the graphic. And he goes back to the Old Testament. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. And all of a sudden, he's got a rhema in his hand. And then the devil tempts him again. And Jesus, a second time, what he does, he goes to the graphe to get a lagos. And he has a rhema in his hand. And it happens a third time. He defends himself every time with the sword of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 119. I encourage you to make it a part of your devotional time this week. In fact, I'm going to challenge you that. It's like over 100 verses in the steel. Lots of verses, long, long chapter in the Bible. But it's based off of celebrating the word of God. And it actually goes through the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet in each section. And you can take one section day by day, journal about it. What does it say about the word of God? But, but I want you to think about it. Let me share with you some verses out of that chapter of the Bible because it helps you understand how you can defend yourself. Watch this. If you want to stay on the path of purity or righteousness... Psalm 119, verse 9, watch this. How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. You see that? If you want to keep sin from ruining your life, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And by the way, it's so important to hide the word of God in your heart because the more of the word of God that you got in your heart, the quicker you're going to discern what's the Holy Spirit's voice and what's not. If you want to keep sorrow from dragging you down, how many know there's a lot of sorrow in this life? Sorrow can overwhelm you. Depression can take a hold of you. It can stop you in your tracks. How are you going to defend yourself against that? Verse 28, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. And I tell you, there have been times in my life it's just one scripture verse or story that I keep just hanging on to. I keep going back to some of you are shaking your head and saying, I know, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. If you want to keep shame from, from ruining your life and just hindering you, what do you do? Verse 31, I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. They do not let me be put to shame. If you want to keep sin from putting you in bondage, verse 45, I will walk about in freedom. Well, how am I going to do that? For I have sought out your precepts. If you want to know how to keep going down, keep from going down the wrong path in your life. If you want to know better what the right relationship is for your life, the right direction for your life. Verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Now you understand that so practically. Because we think we can navigate in darkness and be okay. How many have ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you got to go to the bathroom and that's all that matters? I got to satisfy this urge, my body's telling you. A lot of truth in that, right? And we get up and we don't turn on any lights and then we hit your toe. And you say things that you hope your kids didn't hear in the next room. And then you're sore the next day. Why? Because. Do you understand the word of God? It's Lagos, but it's also Rhema. Yes. Right here, right now. You get the idea. Yes. The first way you use the sword of the Spirit is defensively. Second, you use it offensively. Do you understand 
all the other pieces of armor that Paul has described to us are defensive in nature. Think about it, the belt. Okay? It's to help you stand firm. The breastplate, defensive in nature. The shoes help you stand firm. The shield help you, it's defensive. The helmet saves you from the blows of the enemy. All defensive in, 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 in really what they do. But the sword of the spirit is both defensive and offensive. And here's the deal. With the sword of the spirit in your hand, you can go on the offense. But God hasn't just called you to play defense. Let me show you something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 to Peter. Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, he's not saying Peter's the rock. In fact, Peter means little stone. What Jesus is saying, I tell you, little stone. That on this rock, talking about himself, Jesus says, I'm the big stone. I'm the rolling stone that rolls stones away. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting lost. He rolls stones away. And he says, I will build my church. And watch this. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Yes. So what's the big deal? Did you notice the word gates? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something that you never maybe thought about. Do you know what's true about gates? Gates don't move. Gates are stationary. Enemies come against gates. Armies come in to take back property mm-hmm. that gates now stand on. What Jesus is saying here is his plan is for the church to storm the gates of hell. And to go with his power and take back the ground that the enemy has stolen from people. And currently holding in their life. So think about this. When we go on offense, this is when we, we share the good news of Jesus about people. Think about what happens here all the time. We share the gospel and people get saved. And before they were on ground where they were headed to eternity in hell. But now they're on ground and they're headed to eternal life. Think about this in your own life. When you think about when, when discipleship, what happens? Discipleship happens not by just coming to church, but as you come to church and as you learn and your mind gets renewed and you start getting the sword in your hand and acting on it, what happens? You start taking background in your life. Things start to blossom. Health starts to come. Healing starts to come from your life. All because you now have a weapon that has power in it. To not only transform your life, but keep the devil off your back. Some of us wonder why the devil never gets off our back. It's because we never pull out the sword. I think about this even when it comes to direction in our life. There are times when God will speak a a word of direction in your life. Mm -hmm. And all you see is a bunch of weeds in front of you. Mm -hmm. See, we, we like to think it works this way. God, what path do I need to go down? And we want to look down the path that God tells us, and we want to be able to see 70 miles of nothing in front of us, but open path. Oh, that's not how it works. God says, just take the rhema step where you are right now. And what happens is you take the first step of obedience. You clear a little spot in front of you, and you walk forward. And you keep taking steps. Have you ever been in the, in the brush and you just take, you've seen somebody just, you've got to clear the weeds in front of you with a sickle because you've got to, that's what the word of God will yes. go before you yes. in power yes. to help bring you victory wherever God has called you. Do you understand being used by God involves you taking ground that the devil now has? And you're going to need your sword 
if you're going to be powerful and effective and being used by God. So, here's how I want to close. Two questions. How seriously do you take the word of God in your life? That's a big question. The, the easiest way to find that out is how well does your life matching up with God's word? How well does your relationships match up with God's word? How well does, does how you deal with your hurts match up with God's word? How, how We could go on and on and on and on. How seriously do you take the word of God? Because until you come to the place where you understand the grafe, every bit of it is the inspired word of God. Every bit of it is the words of Jesus, not just the red letters. Every, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, every word is the word of the Lord. Until you come to that revelation, you're going to struggle in spiritual battle. Here's the second question I want to put out as we close. What is the word God is speaking to you right now in this season of your life that you need to act on? I'm not asking about five years down the road. You're in a particular spot at a moment in time right now, and I believe God has a rainbow word for you. In fact, he's probably already been speaking it to you. You just haven't recognized it. And you know what God is saying? And you're going, but that's going to be hard, God. And I don't know if I can do that. And God's saying, pick up your sword. There's power in it. And I want to change direction in your life. And I want to bring victory through generations of your family line. And you'll pick up the sword. You'll start acting on it. I believe today is the day that some of you are going to look back at. You're not going to see it right away, but you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to stand firm with my sword, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to keep obeying the Lord to the best of my ability. And you know what's going to happen? There's power in it, and you're not going to understand it, but you're going to go, boy, what? I, I, I'm not the same person I used to be. And, and why are things starting to blossom in my home? And why are things starting to blossom in my kids' life? Listen, single moms, some of you have been through some very difficult, hurtful things, and the Lord is putting a rhema in your hand and saying, I want to change destinies in your family. But you got to act on it. You got to allow the power of God to start to do what it does. It begins to transform. It begins to bring light and bring the darkness and send the darkness running. And so if you are in a situation this morning, mom, dad, brother, sister, and you feel like the devil is saying your life is over, your life is not over because God loves you and he cares about you and he's got a destiny for you and he's got a weapon for you. All you have to do is pick it up. All you have to do is pick it up. God's got victory in store for you, amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed, what word is God speaking to you today? What has God put in front of you? It's not by accident that you're in this place this morning. God has already been speaking to you. He's got a rhema word for you. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. God's trying to protect you. Pick it up. God's trying to bring healing. Pick it up. God's trying to, to break through in your life. Pick it up. Pick it up. Stop looking for your security in you and your thoughts and your emotions and what everybody says and start putting your security in the Word of God. Like the Lord is pleading with some of you this morning. He loves you. He cares about you. 
So if that's you this morning, right where you are, we can say, Lord, I'm picking up, I'm picking up. I'll pick it up. Today's the day. Today's a new day. I'm picking up my sword. It's not enough just to have the sword on me. It's not enough just to carry the sword around. I've got it in my hand. It's time that I do battle and I win and be victorious in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, God. Lord, I thank you for the rhema that you have put forth out of your logos this morning, Lord, that comes from that grave, Lord, that we would, we would understand, Lord, that there would be new revelation in our life. That we would be victorious in everything you've called us to be. Lord, I pray right now, and I thank you for what you're going to do. I pray, Lord, that as these swords get picked up today, that you would begin to release your power in supernatural ways by your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus. We pray it in the name of Jesus, and we expect it in the name of Jesus, because your word never returns void, God. It is live, and it is active, and it is powerful. physical realm. We declare it right now in the spiritual realm. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Today be a new day. In the name of Jesus. We all said together. another thing that Paul mentions. He doesn't mention it by name, but it is a part of the spiritual armor. It's prayer. One more message to go. We're going to talk about the importance of prayer. It's Paul in this book of Ephesians next week. God bless you. Thanks for being here. If you need prayer, our prayer partners will be here. If there's just something God touched you with, you need prayer. If you need prayer for another need, come up. We'd love to pray over you. Listen, can I just challenge you this? If there is a change in your life you need to make, let us pray with you. There is power in prayer. Amen? If God touched you in a unique way, let us pray with you. Come on up. We'd love to pray. God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Amen.